Welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries podcast, where we strive to provide great preaching and teaching so that listeners will discover or rediscover the goodness, truth, and beauty of our Catholic faith. If you are interested in supporting the work we are doing, visit us at drybonespgh.org or follow us on social media at drybonespgh. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you are inspired, uplifted, and encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries special podcast series on the Litany of Trust. My name is Father Adam Potter, and today we have made it to day 27, where our petition is that you will teach me to trust you. Jesus, I trust in you. This is a great petition that as we come to the close of our retreat in just the next four days, is that right, 27, 28, 29, 30? Yeah, four days, um, that, that we come to really appreciate this petition, that you will teach me to trust you. And it gets to the heart of the fact that this is all about a relationship. It's trust that is the, at the very foundation of any relationship, but especially when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, that he loves us and cares about us and sees within us a greater capacity than we even see in ourselves. And he wants to pull that out of us and to bring us into a a greater understanding of the trust that he's really requiring of us. And that can seem really painful, even scary, difficult, but he's going to teach us. He's a good teacher um, and knows how how to bring us to this deeper level of trust um, so I just appreciate that Sister Faustina really opens up and is vulnerable with us and talks about how she's been able to look back at her entire life and see how all these different ways the Lord was there leading her, guiding her into deeper and deeper trust and teaching her how to how to trust more. And as we've talked about before, you know, there are just different ways of looking at her own life and from a cynical perspective, it could be easy to put together this narrative of our life that every time we needed something from the Lord, he wasn't there from, for us. He was silent and absent, and, and therefore that's why I don't believe in God, or if, or if God is real, then that's not the God that I want to have a relationship with. I, don't, I hear this all the time, and it's really sad because what's missing is this perspective of trust, of faith. Right, that I'm, I'm willing to take a different look at my life. And instead of the cynical perspective, to see a perspective of faith and, and to be able to see and connect the dots with this supernatural understanding that God, throughout my entire life, his goal is to bring me to a deeper trust in him, to bring me to union with him. That's his ultimate prerogative is I've been saying for for this whole retreat, uh, a great example of of this, right? How the Lord wants to teach us and how we can have different perspectives on it is the great story in Matthew's gospel, chapter 15. This is the, the story of Jesus traveling to these Gentile regions of Tyre and Sidon. And there he's with his disciples and there's this woman who comes up to him And she calls out, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have mercy on me. And 
he is with his disciples and his, his disciples are just kind of uh, annoyed, right? <laughs> um, and and there they are having this meal and she seems to really come to interrupt uh, their entire meal. And, and his response to her crying out is that I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, there's a right way to understand that, that, that he's, he's come first and foremost to the house of Israel. And the Gentiles he has come, come for as well, but the salvation is first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. She, hearing this, um, which sounds like maybe a, a rebuke to our eyes or our ears, she perseveres and she says, please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. Hopefully you, you know the story. It's sounding familiar now. And right in her quick and even playful response, she's able to show the depths of her faith. Now, for a long time, I always thought that this was some sort of gotcha moment that stumps Jesus. You know what I mean? That he realized that, realizes that he is caught and has no choice but to give her what she wants. But no, instead, it's in total trust and humility that she perseveres to affirm that, yes, salvation does come from Israel, and I am willing to even eat the scraps. Notice, now we see her faith. So, this is this amazing lesson. And another one that, that follows from it is that we're able to see that Jesus is not rejecting her, but inviting her to the fullness of faith in silence. Matthew points this out, Matthew 15, 23. Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. That wasn't what she was looking for, and it doesn't seem to stop her. She continues to call out, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, have pity on me. The disciples have a different response. Lord, would you deal with her? In In so many words, get her off her backs. And so notice this difference between the Lord and the disciples, that he is silently present to her, and they are noisily annoyed with her and want to send her away. What is silence? It can be easy to define silence as simply an absence or lack of noise, but that would not quite get at the essence. True silence is not an absence or void, but it is a presence. Biblically speaking, remember the creation of the world that happened in dark silence. In that silence, there was creativity, word that formed the night and day, earth and sky and everything else. Without the capacity for silence, you and I are incapable of hearing, loving, and understanding the people around us. This is so true for a teacher who's trying to draw us out to further than we're ready. I told you uh, two days ago that uh, I had the chance to teach one of my best friend's sisters how to ride a bike. I remember teaching my little brother how to swim. And it, I started right by just inviting him to stand on the edge of the wall and to jump in where I was right there to catch him and teach him 
that he'll be okay in the water. And then I would toss him back up. It was kind of this game. And But each time that he would jump in, I would just take another step out and then another step out. And each time he would, he would jump out and I would kind of be right there or he would realize, oh, I'm not right there, but I'm just this one swim away. And quickly, quickly, I was halfway across the pool, torturing him. <laughs> no, not, not torturing him. I was halfway across the pool, right? And he didn't realize it, but as he was jumping in, he was then swimming to me. And he didn't, he didn't quite realize it, but as he was jumping in and it finding that I wasn't there immediately, that I was drawing him drawing him, inviting him into a greater capacity to swim. Jesus did not say a word in answer to her. But he didn't leave her either. This is so important to see. So often when we approach the Lord with sincere hearts and the right words, all we get back is silence. Where are you? Another St. Augustine quote, right? He says that Jesus is awakening the faith and longing of this woman, almost like a test. Do we think that Jesus couldn't see her faith? Most of us in talking to one another, we get a sense of whether or not the other person believes or is listening or interested. How much more than for Jesus in his divine gaze to be able to see the faith of this woman? She's called to persevere in the silence and to allow herself to be consumed in the silence of God that brings her to a place of worship and mind and body. Her busyness and activity are brought into his being through silence. So how about you and I? How does the Lord teach us to trust him? Is it through silence? Is it through trials, tribulations, sufferings, obstacles? quote-unquote, burdens, right? Like, how does the Lord, and being able to look at our relationship with him with a deep faith, how does the Lord want to teach us about trust? This is so good to be able to to look back and to reflect on our whole life to be able to, to see it. I appreciate that Sister Faustina was inspired by Saint Faustina in her own struggles to really build that relationship with the Lord Um, she talks about how St. Faustina seemed frail due to her health and sensitivities, yet Jesus always saw a capacity for greatness in her love, which surprised me that Jesus was teaching St. Faustina to speak simply and openly with him, to not be afraid. This effusion of Jesus' heart so often recorded began to awaken my desire, says Sister Faustina my desire to be seen and known. It was only through this vulnerability of his that I could see that my own fragile heart in its entirety was worth unlocking. What a great gift and a great grace to be able to be inspired by a saint, a hero, or just someone in our own lives that we see them persevering in the midst of their own trials or their own desolation to being able to relate that to the Lord and still choosing to be vulnerable, thinking about this Gentile woman in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 15, right? Even the dogs, Lord, even the dogs, right? It's this 
vulnerability. It's not a trying to get you. It's a vulnerability of showing, I do believe what you're saying. And I'm not afraid to be vulnerable and to be poor um, so that you can see me, which is a vulnerability. It's a risk that maybe the Lord could reject her even more. But she chooses to be vulnerable and, and to give the Lord that chance to really draw her closer to himself. And so, yeah, for, for us to be inspired by Sister Faustina, by Saint Faustina, by uh, this woman in the gospel, to not be afraid to bring all of our life to Jesus and to relate each and every one of these different moments of our of our life to him and how through through all the different details and moments Jesus just loves us and and wants to to draw us closer to him and to show us who we are in the second part of this sister Faustina points to Jesus's being stripped of his garments and presented by Pontius Pilate behold the man says Pilate to the crowds, Behold the man. And this is a really, really powerful insight that in Jesus being stripped and exposed, that his sufferings are actually a window into what he embraced at that moment, she says. right? That, that he's willing to reflect and to show to us his great willingness to be vulnerable in the midst of everything that he's going through. That, that he witnesses to us what it, what it looks like, first of all, to continue to trust his Father. The God of the universe that could have put an end to any of that immediately accepted it. Accepted it, which is just wild, right? But he accepts it, which shows, first of all, his utter confidence in the Father to deliver him through the suffering and through the death, and also it shows this great vulnerability to you and me, that we, through the Gospels, have access to Jesus's humiliation and suffering and complete annihilation of his body, soul, and mind, and that he allows himself just to be seen. <sighs> what about you and me? <laughs> right? Like, what about you and me? That that we, in, in our moments of humiliation, can just be so embarrassed, or in our moments of failure, like, can be so embarrassed to go to the Lord, and like, and we come and we cover up, like, it's the garden experience. Where are you? Like, oh well, I was naked, so I I hid myself. Like, oh no, you ate of the fruit of the tree. <laughs> like, who told you you were naked? Right to. That, that we see our, our failings and these moments of, of difficulty or embarrassment or humiliation, we see them as things that would keep us from a relationship with the Lord. And here, God, from the very beginning, where are you? Where are you? Like, why, why aren't you entrusting yourself to me? Why aren't you letting me in? Why aren't you letting me see you, even in your brokenness? That the Lord wants to teach us to trust in him. And that, that comes by accepting these different moments of vulnerability, of weakness, of humiliation, and bringing them to the Lord. Some invitations at the end. 
Can we just look at the first and third? When we have failed the Lord, we can doubt that he will continue to teach us how to trust or that we will ever be able to learn. The Lord is always inviting us to a deeper trust. As we recognize the invitations to trust and live them, they continue to challenge us. When it gets hard to trust, do I assume I am doing something wrong? What makes me doubt my ability to trust? I I can speak honestly and, and tell you, I've just seen a lot of people um, through spiritual direction and other conversations who, you know, really come across difficulties by really even throwing themselves into this relationship with the Lord and pursuing Him and, and realizing, which is this great insight, that that faith is not something that one can just observe from the outside. Faith has to really be experienced by abandoning oneself to it full on and, and to give it a um, give it full access to our whole lives. And so a lot of us can be frustrated or downcast whenever we pursue this abandonment and really trusting in the Lord. Because then it's hard. It gets even harder. And we can... Um, what I see in a lot of people, and I'm in there too, you know, is that we can be self-defeating or deprecating or, is that the word I'm looking for? It's not self-deprecating, but it is, it is just thinking that I'm the one who's doing it wrong and, and thinking that, well, because I really tried and it's really hard or I didn't see an immediate result that I must be messing it up or... (laughs) I must be messing it up or maybe a, a more impulsive uh, admission of discouragement, discouragement is that so God doesn't love me or he doesn't care or he's not real or this whole thing is made up as if we're just like looking for it to be wrong and to unravel as soon as we give it a chance and it doesn't work out. Where does that come from? It's a great question. If, if we've ever had this experience, this frustration, and, and what makes me doubt God? What makes me doubt myself or my own ability to trust? This petition is all about trusting that God is teaching us to trust more. And knowing him as a good God, a father, that he would bring us beyond our comfort zone, that it would necessarily be hard and it wouldn't just be immediately gratifying because that doesn't teach us anything but he continues to move further, further out into the water so that we can learn to swim to him. This third invitation is also really important for us to look at. When we begin to learn to trust God, it can be hard not to want others in our life to continually speak into our decisions and direct us. While it is good to have trusted spiritual guides, God speaks to us in our hearts personally and wants us to start taking the small steps of faith to follow him. Am I struggling to believe that he actually trusts my capacity to follow his promptings? Uh, I brought this up before briefly and just to kind of emphasize it again, how it's almost harder to trust when it's not a life or death situation, right? Like if I don't trust you right now, Lord, I'm going to die kind of a thing. Like those kind of moments as difficult as the circumstances are, those moments of trusting 
are almost easier than just the ordinary decisions. Like this isn't going to destroy me or somebody else. This is just like one decision of what school am I going to go to? Or what job am I going to take? Or yeah, do I move or do I not move my family? Um, Do I pursue this relationship or do I not? There are these different opportunities at work, at school, in the community, at church. Like, do I do them? Which do I do? Like, these kind of ordinary opportunities, when we really bring them to the Lord as an opportunity to trust Him, do I trust in His trust in me? Hopefully it's not too confusing. Right? Do I, do I really believe that He trusts me to make the decision to in my intellect to know and observe and evaluate where where I am, what's going on, what's good for me, to evaluate the pros and the con and the cons, the the costs and everything else, and and to through prayer be able to to see how the Holy Spirit is leading me to really be more invested in my family or in my faith. And so, okay, out of taking all that into consideration, I'm gonna choose. And, and sometimes in the absence of a mystical vision or dream or neon flashing sign on the side of the road, like become a priest, or become a nun or marry this person, right? Like we have to choose. And it's actually in the silence, thinking of this lesson that Jesus was teaching this woman. Ah, oh, she's the Syrophoenician woman. I, don't, I couldn't, I couldn't remember it. She's the Syrophoenician woman. That the silence is doesn't re- doesn't reflect an absence of him. The silence is this invitation to take that step, keep going, make the decision, and to believe that he's still there with you, with me, leading us. So this is a good thing to to consider. Do I struggle to believe that he actually trusts my capacity to follow his promptings? And if so. Why so? And why not take the different opportunities that are given to us in our life to make these different choices, to choose to act in faith and to believe that he has given me this capacity uh, and that he does trust me and teaches me, will teach me, and that if I make a wrong decision, that I'll be okay and I'll learn how to, how to do better the next time. A lot to pray with. Let's conclude with going to our litany and asking for that real grace of trusting in him in all things. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The litany of trust. From the belief that I have to earn your love, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that I am unlovable, deliver me, Jesus. From the false security that I have what it takes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute, deliver me, Jesus. From all suspicion of your words and promises, deliver me, Jesus. From the rebellion against childlike dependency on you, deliver me, Jesus. From refusals and reluctances in accepting your will, deliver me, Jesus. From anxiety about the future, deliver me, Jesus. From resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past, deliver me, Jesus. From restless self-seeking in the present moment, deliver me, Jesus. From disbelief in your love and presence, Deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being asked to give more than I have, 
deliver me, Jesus. From the belief that my life has no meaning or worth, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of what love demands, deliver me, Jesus. From discouragement, deliver me, Jesus. That you are continually holding me, sustaining me, loving me. Jesus, I trust in you. That your love goes deeper than my sins and failings and transforms me. Jesus, I trust in you. That not knowing what tomorrow brings is an invitation to lean on you. Jesus, I trust in you. That you are with me in my suffering. Jesus, I trust in you. That my suffering united to your own will bear fruit in this life and the next. Jesus, I trust in you. That you will not leave me orphan. That you are present in your church. Jesus, I trust in you. That your plan is better than anything else. Jesus, I trust in you. That you always hear me and in your goodness always respond to me. Jesus, I trust in you. That you give me the grace to accept forgiveness and to forgive others. Jesus, I trust in you. That you give me all the strength I need for what is asked. Jesus, I trust in you. That my life is a gift. Jesus, I trust in you. That you will teach me to trust you. Jesus, I trust in you. That you are my Lord and my God. Jesus, I trust in you. That I am your beloved one. Jesus, I trust in you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode. To learn more about Drybones Ministries, events, and initiatives, and to support this podcast, go to drybonespgh.org. Thanks, and God bless you.